This is Boss Tone Radio, talk for guitar players, presented by BossUS.com. Hi, Paul Hansen here. You are listening to the 25th edition of Boss Tone Radio. This is the first segment, and today we've got, our, as usual, a real interesting guest. Uh, this is an old friend of mine, Nick Nolan. He's an amazing guitar player and an amazing musician, and he's done all kinds of things, but he's currently a TV composer for the uh, PBS Kids TV show called Curious George, and they won an Emmy, and uh, anyway, he's such a good guitar player, I, I just wanted to have him on. He's also a good piano player, and he's really a great all-around musician. So let's take a listen to Nick. Here's a couple of excerpts. It's not TV music, it's just Nick Nolan jamming out on the guitar. pretty hot down there in LA 105 but you have a pool right so yeah (laughs) but I can't play guitar in the pool (laughs) no (laughs) you know when you're touching an electric guitar there's actually voltage going through us yeah when you have a badly grounded guitar you can ground it just by touching it oh man I remember as a kid practicing in our garage learning very quickly that you couldn't do it in bare feet <laughs> you know, with one foot in a bucket of water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so Nick, you're a guitar player by trade, but you've become a TV composer, and you're specializing in cartoons. Right. And now you're on the Emmy-winning show, Curious George. I mean, you're composing for that show. Right. Right. Once you told me how you got this gig, would you repeat that story? Oh yeah. Um, I had been. Uh, skirting around the edges of the animated field, getting odd jobs and and smaller things like little one-offs. Uh-huh. And I met a guy named Otis Van Austin who um, he runs a post-production house, and he was really supportive of me. And I think uh-huh. in this industry, you know, if you talk to anybody, you're going to find that there was at one point that somebody really cared and, and looked out for you. And huh. this was that guy. And... Um, 
he was hired to put together what's called an animatic for Curious George, and that's where you take a storyboard, which is all handwritten drawings of a show, and uh-huh. he puts it in a computer and times it out to their specs so that it very roughly moves as an animation. Huh. And uh, he didn't want to just deliver it uh, without any music, so he called me up and said, um, hey, uh, would you like to add some music to this thing I'm doing for Universal? And I said, sure. The only problem was the very next morning I was leaving for Nashville to do a showcase for my friend who was trying to get a country deal. Yep. I was putting the band together and playing guitar and, you know, like a really, like a music director. So uh-huh. I uh, drove over to his place, got a DVD and whipped it up that afternoon and delivered it on my way to the final rehearsal. <laughs> when you did this, Nick, did you um, have a visualization of what the music should be already? Or did he tell you it needs to be kind of like like maybe the Peanuts show, Charlie Brown kind of music? or You know, he didn't say that, but he said that they really like jazz. And uh-huh. as a matter of fact, he mentioned Django Reinhardt. And wow. me being a guitar player, that would be more up my alley but when i looked at it and Uh it was kind of retro looking and and almost kind of reminded me of early 60s or or something the animation and the feel of it and then i decided to use the piano instead and um so i did it that afternoon and delivered it and did the rehearsal got on a plane and flew and he delivered the show the next day and we're getting ready to go on for the showcase there's like eight record companies sitting out there and my cell phone rings and it's Otis in Los Angeles saying, dude, you're not going to believe this. They want to meet you. <laughs> like, I'm in Nashville. <laughs> and uh, so, believe it or not, the fact that I wasn't available to come over right at that moment, um, I think it just put doubt in their mind and they then went through what most shows normally do is they start going for all of the most established people. Uh-huh. They went through all of the established uh, animation composers and just kept coming back to my little animatic and saying, you know, we still like that guy. And and it was literally about seven months later that they called me and asked me to come in for a meeting. Seven months? Yeah, what? so they, they got to the point where the shows were fully animated and ready to go on air. And they said, we got to make a decision on this. So they gave me the call and I went in there and my resume wasn't, you know, nearly as strong as what they were hoping. But I just, uh, I said all the right things at the meeting, I guess. I said, you know, I'm going to drop everything I have and do this show fully and put all of my energy towards it. And since they like the music already, they, uh, I think that was the thing that gave them enough confidence to give me the show. You told me that when you were in that situation, you kind of got forceful and just said, I can do it. I'm your guy. Yeah, it actually just came over me. I'd... I guess I had enough experiences of trying to think, you know, maybe I should say this or maybe I shouldn't say this. And those experiences not panning out that I just went straight from the gut and they were humming and hawing and saying, well, let me ask you this. If you were to be able to take this show, would you be able to give it the right amount of time? And could you turn these shows around quickly enough? And Mm -hmm. I just, I saw their apprehension and I just kind of took the floor and said, maybe this will help everybody out. I'm just going to drop everything. I'll never miss a deadline. I can do this. I've done it before. And actually, mm-hmm. by that point, I had delivered shows, uh, major shows. It's just, it wasn't under my name. Uh-huh. Ghostwriting for other composers. They, they were so busy, they had five shows or something, and 
and they'd get tight on deadlines, and I'd start writing some shows for them. Here's one of Nick's compositions. This is called Attack of the 50-Foot Lymph Nodes. Nick, I remember you worked on the Land Before Time movies. That was as a player. That was earlier in my career where I played stringed instruments, session dude on guitar where you show up with a Jeep full of equipment. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have a dobro, an electric guitar, two different acoustic guitars, a mandolin, a banjo, a ukulele, and literally the charts were you know, like a half half inch thick on the stand. and Oh, my gosh. And each one had a different instrument. Some of the cues had three instruments on one cue. I can't remember. Are you a good enough reader to be able to, like, I mean, you must be. Well, I had to be. <laughs> um, I mean, if we go back in time, I started out like most rock guitar players where I'd get out the records and turn the the turntable from 33 to 16 and try to figure out guitar solos. And, oh, man. You know, just put everything together just by ear and started to realize, oh, this is the key of E and this is the key of A. And and I did read music because I played in high school band. Uh-huh. I did take a few lessons of guitar when I was a kid and we did the Mel Bay, Mary Had a Little Lamb and all of that. So I knew what the, the names of the notes were. But um, I don't think people know, I mean, kids now know what we had to do. I bought one of those old Gerard turntables because there was an old record speed of 16 um, revolutions, is a, I guess, per minute. Right. But the normal, uh, the good turntables were didn't have that old speed. But if you sought out and found the old ones, then you could slow uh, the, a song down to half speed. That's right. And luckily enough, down in the basement, we had, you know, something from the 60s or something. And, yeah. And I'd take it up to my room and put on a Queen record or... Uh. When Randy Rhodes came out, you know, I was like, so that's lead guitar, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just get the first three notes of this. (laughs) Yeah. So you grew up in the Detroit area. Yeah, north of Detroit. Did you play in bands as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. um, I think I started playing the bar scene in my small town at 16. And Uh uh, I think that was the legal... I don't even know if that was legal, but I think yeah. we skirted around it. Yeah, so we'd learn a bunch of the top 40 songs and 
throw in a couple of our favorites, and it was the bar, bar crowd kind of a thing. And then I remember, well, when you came out to L.A., um, I was your private instructor at GIT, your Musicians Institute. That's right. And uh, it seems to me that, I don't know, you had just won a contest, or did you win like a scholarship at GIT? Or yeah, I did. It was, I think, the only year they did it. Uh-huh. And they um, offered a scholarship for rock guitar and jazz guitar and blues guitar. And, and so there were all these different categories. And I went to a music store. I was on my way to a gig in Detroit, and I saw some back issues of Guitar Player Magazine. And so they were like half price. I said, oh, I'll take all three of those. And so I saw this page on there that said, GIT offering scholarships. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, it was a back issue, so it says... Um, Submissions are due, and they put the date down. It was like five days from that <laughs> date. So I was in Detroit staying at somebody's house, and I rushed home after we finished. We were booked at a place for like a week or something, and then uh-huh. drove back, and my brother-in-law had a four-track recorder, and I sat down in the basement for like you know eight hours and put together this little thing and sent it in. And next thing you know, it was not too long after that uh, I got a telephone call, and it was night because there was a three-hour time difference yeah. from Michigan to L.A., like, who could this be? And they told me I won it, and that was pretty amazing. Wow. How old were you? Uh, probably 19. And, uh, oh, by the way, Eddie Van Halen was the judge. Wow, that's <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, my gosh. So Eddie liked your stuff better than all the other stuff. That's, yeah. I, I don't know, I mean, I, you know, to analyze why he would have. Um, I guess the one thing that I did focus on was melody. Yeah. I did, you I did have. as many chops as I had at the time, but I've always been more of a melodic player, more in the line of uh, Brian May. You definitely had really good technique, and uh, I can't remember, was Ingve was maybe just out at that time? Yeah, just coming out. Somebody gave me a cassette of the Alcatraz record that he was on, Yeah, and that was pretty amazing. It wasn't only him, though. There were, there was, it was like the forefront of playing every note separately and real identified notes. It was right. um, Al Demiola mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Morse from the Dixie Drags. Yeah. And I said, wow, that's something I really would like to learn how to do. And it, it takes a long time, though. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I was playing gigs, you know, playing uh, Madonna songs and all the way from Rat to Madonna, you know, uh-huh. top 40 gigs. And then during the breaks of the gigs, we'd play like three or four sets, and we'd have 20 minutes off, and I'd go back into the back room with a rock man with headphones and work on my picking. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Me too. And I remember, okay, you were my student. I remember learning some picking chops from you. That's my secret of being a guitar teacher was to try to cop as many licks from my students as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and be paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Nick, was there anything you learned from me? I mean, that you remember? Oh, all sorts of stuff. Um, you're the first guy that I knew that um, did sweep picking. Oh. And you would pick, you know, three strings in one direction mm-hmm. and three strings back. And, not, and that would... That would be part of it, but even two strings is some was something new to me to go down down yeah. on two different strings, and I still do it to this day. So, wow, wow, that's that's great. And vibrato, vibrato, the vibrato king. Yeah, I of totally the vibrato. You know, I I saw Michael Schenker um, about a week ago. He's doing his thirtieth um, 
30th anniversary of MSG. And he had Carmine Apiece on the drums, so I really wanted to meet him. I went back to the bus, and I know the drummer, I know Carmine, and uh, hung out with the band, but Michael's this kind of um, reclusive kind of guy. I never got to meet him. Um, but while listening to him, that's what turned me on to Vibrato. I mean, yeah, just, and it was yeah. something I was doing, but really thoughtlessly. You know, like I'd shake the string and not really think about it. Yeah. And you were the one who taught me to really consider... I mean, you even had exercises you know, yeah. with the metronome and, and that really got me thinking about it. Uh-huh. And, and it's one of the vibratos I use now, but I've, I've noticed that having... A few different vibratos, even within the same solo, is interesting. When I listen to Angus Young's vibrato or BB King's, or, yeah, and I'll I'll just do it, you know, by feel. But I've definitely liked the milky one that you have too. Oh, thanks. Something I've also really gotten into is holding the pick differently ah. um, for different licks. Like I'll hold the the pick with two fingers on one side and the thumb on the other, and like, pack the strings completely flat on. I think that's like Eddie Van Halen's. Right, and slam through those, and then I'll angle it for a picking run and do some pinch squeals in a different way. But I think the older you get, the more you add different techniques and don't lose the ones that right started with. Absolutely. You know, I've changed my picking te- techniques so many times, but I re- noticed when, when I was a little kid playing guitar, my index finger of my right hand, that fingernail would wear down. Yep. And then I changed my picking technique, um, you know, to be more accurate. And over the years, several times I've changed it. But nowadays, I notice, I'll look at my right hand index finger and I'll notice, whoa, that fingernail's worn down. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm obviously I revert back to that original technique for some certain things. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, you know, when I was teaching six hours a day, oh, man. um, I literally would put on um, nail glue on that finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they, the nail would have been gone. <laughs> yeah, and all the classical guys use that kind of girl nail polish or something. Right, right. Yeah. Have to. Nick, let's get back to uh, TV land. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what your average day is? Like, you get up and then what? Okay. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Nick, and he's going to answer that question about his average day. This is some music underneath me that Nick uh, sent me. I think he used in something with penguins, because it was called uh, something about, let's see, the penguin score. (laughs) So stay tuned to Boston Radio. (laughs) 